good morning, everyone. Uh, how are you guys doing? You're good? All right. It's a funny thing about when they give you a humble medal, you know, because if you put it on, they take it away. You know? So <laughs> you'll, you'll understand it later. All right. So we're going <laughs> to... We're going to wrap up the series, Light-Minded. Um, uh, we've learned, as we, many of us knew, that uh, Jesus is the light of the world. And with this light comes this amazing power. We have learned that this power overcomes darkness, brings uh, dead things to life, shines on us. You know, we, we're supposed to shine with that light to the world. But today I want to talk to you about how this power changes us. Because before you can shine that light, you know, that light has to change you first, okay? And to do that, to explain that, we're going to study uh, the most famous conversion that we have in the New Testament. Uh, I call it the conversion of a terrorist. You know, I'm talking about, of course, Saul of Tarsus, who we came to know as the Apostle Paul, okay? So we're going to study him, but see, the first thing that we have to do is we need to adjust our minds... Uh, to, to try to think like the Jewish people of the first century. Because the better you understand the circumstances where, where this happened, you know, where, where the life of Paul happened, the most this is going to marvel you. See, the passage we're going to study is a passage that was written in a way that w when you read it, you should be like, what? You know, wow. You know? And if you don't see it from the eyes of these people that lived at that time, this is not going to happen to you. See, Paul was in the purest sense of the word a terrorist. He was a person that was committed to persecute and kill people that, you know, he considered to be blasphemous. That he considered that were working against the God in which he believed, okay? And he was a terrorist until the day that he had an encounter with the light. An encounter that had a, a, a radical change in his life and impacted the entire world, okay? Um, because, you know, it, it, Paul is probably the, the biggest change that we see in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, because he went from persecuting and killing Christians to become the main promoter of Christianity in the world, okay? So first we need to um, understand who Paul was before the light. I call it Paul in the darkness in your program. If you want to follow me, it says Paul in the darkness. Let me take a sip of water. Okay. See, to get a good image of who Paul was, we have to read a couple of passages of his own description of himself. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this of himself. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, righteousness under the law, blameless. See, in this passage, you can see the heritage religiously and culturally of Paul. Uh, he was clearly born to a family of Jewish people that were very devout. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's exactly what the law prescribed, on the very eighth day. He says, I was uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Here, Paul, is, it's kind of showing off a little bit, you know, because if you remember the story, you know, Jacob had 12 sons, and each one was the head of each one of the tribes of Israel. But only two of his sons came from his favorite wife, Rachel. Six of his sons were from Leah, the sister of Rachel, who he didn't love. Four of his children came from the slaves of Leah and Rachel, and only two came from Rachel. 
the, the two youngest ones, Joseph and Benjamin. So, so here he's saying, I was one of the favorite ones. You know, Paul's saying, I, I came from the line of, like an aristocratic line of people, okay? Um, he's a Pharisee, so he, he's very strict with the law. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then in Acts 22, verse 3, look at what he says. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, uh, but brought up in this city, that means Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So, so Paul was born a Jew, that's what he's saying. No, he, he wasn't a, a Gentile that was converted later to Judaism, like some of the characters in the New Testament, like Luke, for example. Uh, he didn't have a Samaritan mother or a Greek father like Timothy. No, he was pure blood, okay? And he says he was uh, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most famous teachers at the time of Jesus. And it says that he was, he was educated at his feet, which means he was his mentor, so he learned from the best, okay? And he was zealous for God. So the image that they're painting here is that no one could be more Jewish than Paul, okay? If dictionaries had pictures right next to Jew, there would be a picture of Paul, okay? Because that, that, that's Jewish, okay? But the most interesting thing here is uh, the personality that you can see through these words. See, I put this in your program. It says, Paul was a man whose zeal for God was unmatched. He was zealous for God. And I don't know what image comes to your mind when you think of zealous for God, but you know what the Greek word is for zealous? Zealot. You remember one of the disciples of Jesus was called Simon the Zealot? This was a group of people, the zealots, that were fanatical, uncompromising in pursuit of their religious ideals. And this is Paul. He was invested in his beliefs and very extreme, which means Paul was not a person that would sit in the back row and watch the action from far away. He acted upon his beliefs, okay? Uh, now, in order to understand why Paul and the Pharisees rejected Jesus so harshly and were so angry about the, the growth of the church, we need to see these things through their eyes. Because if you see these things with modern eyes, see, you're going to wonder, uh, why didn't they receive Jesus? Why didn't even listen to him? See, the Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. And here comes one saying, I'm the Messiah, and, and, and they don't want to hear anything that he has to say. Why? Well, here's what you have to understand. There's two things that we need to keep in mind. The first of them is, see, one of the things that God did with the Jewish people from the beginning of the Jewish people is try to make them remember that God was holy. Humans were sinful, and there was a wall between them. There was no way that men and God could be together, okay? Because we were impure. We were not holy. And his holiness would destroy us. This is why he set up all those requirements for the priests to be able to go and present the offerings in the temple. See, even the priests, you know, the, the priest is supposed to represent men before God and God before men. This is like the point of contact between the two. But in order for a priest to go to the, to the Holy of Holies, they had to be dressed in a specific way, covered with the blood of a sacrifice, you know, completely clean. Once they entered the temple, they would never leave the temple until they finished their duties. Because if they entered the presence of God unholy, they would die immediately. Okay? So God is holy. The man is not we cannot be together. We cannot deal directly with God. That's the first thing that you have to remember, okay? Now, the second one is this, and this is something that uh, us as Christians 
don't realize right away. See, the Jewish people were not expecting that the Messiah was going to be God incarnate. They were expecting a man. They were expecting flesh and blood, a prophet that was going to lead the people of Israel, was going to overthrow Rome and bring Israel back to their glorious days when David was king. Okay, so this is why when, when Jesus shows up, you know, and, 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 and he starts saying what he says, they don't understand it. So if you remember in the trial in Matthew 26, the high priest is, is questioning Jesus. And he gets completely frustrated because Jesus is not answering. So exasperated with him, he says, in the name of God, tell me, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says two things. He says, you have said so. So he calls himself the Messiah. But then he said, and from now on, you will see me, see me sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming in the clouds. So he calls himself God. And that's when the priest says, blasphemy. And, and the whole council says, he deserves to die. This is why when they crucified him, the Jewish people said, he got what he deserved. We see these things from this side of the cross and we know that he got what we deserved. Okay, but this is why, you know, Paul was so angry, which makes his conversion more miraculous. You have to understand that the conversion of Paul is one of the things that the people that attacks the Bible cannot explain. They, they cannot understand what happened. They make all kinds of stories up about the resurrection, about the cross, about his miracles. But they, Paul is a historical figure. And they have no way to explain why did he go from killing Christians to becoming a Christian. It, this would be the same as, imagine if after September 11, Osama bin Laden had shown up in New York in a church and said, brothers, sisters, I made a mistake. I see now the right way. Jesus is Lord. I'm sorry. What would people do? They would do what they did with Paul. Some of them thought he's trying to trick us. He just wants to you know, for us to let him come in so he can hurt us more. Or they would say, what happened? How did you change from being this radical, you know, terrorist to now love Christians so much? So this is what happened to Paul, okay? So let's analyze what happened in his life, okay? Now, we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. Uh, what's happened up until this point is Jesus has resurrected, has given instructions to his disciples. He ascends to heaven, Okay, the church starts growing in Jerusalem up until the point where a follower of Jesus called Stephen defends Jesus and says the same things that Jesus said. Oh, I see Jesus sitting right next to the Father. And they drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. And there's a person holding the robes of the people that are killing him, which is Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul. Okay, so Paul is determined to eradicate this new sect. Okay, so we'll pick up um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. See, that phrase, breathing threats and murder, uh, it paints the image of somebody that is speaking under his breath. You know, he's obsessed with something. Actually, Paul himself says, I was so obsessed with them that I was willing to travel to foreign lands to persecute them and kill them. Okay, so what happens? He says, Saul went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, with capital W, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, the way that the synagogues worked back then, it's kind of like the way the Catholic Church works today. 
the temple in Jerusalem was like the Vatican. And whatever the high priest said, all the synagogues in other cities had to obey. This is why Paul goes to the high priest and says, give me letters so I can go and persecute Christians in Damascus. He could come to the synagogue in Damascus and says, look, I have permission. Who, who are the Christians in this city? Where are they? I'm going to go drag them. Okay? And he says he's pursuing everyone that is following the way. That is very interesting because it shows us the, 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 the worldview that the Christians had from the very beginning. They knew that there was a specific way of life that you had to follow. The way, you know, to, to live life correctly and the way that would lead you to God. And the right way was Jesus, okay? <clears throat> so that was his plan. He thought it was a good cause. He thought that God was behind it because he was trying to protect the purity of the Jewish faith until he finds on the way to Damascus, Jesus. Yeah? Number two in your program says the light appears. Verse three says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I want to stop there for a second because we have to pay attention to what Jesus said. Did you, did you hear what he said? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He didn't say, I am Jesus. You're pursuing my people. You're pursuing my followers. You're pursuing my church. He said, you're persecuting me, which, which should remind us something. Do you, remember, in, in, um, there's, there's an instance in Matthew 25 where uh, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's going to happen at the end of times. And he says, the king is going to come and he's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he's going to say to a group, you are righteous and you're going to enter into heaven because you saw me naked and you gave me clothes. You saw me hungry and you fed me. You, know, you saw me thirsty and you gave me water. You saw me in jail and you visited me. And these guys and also the other group is going to say, you didn't do any of those things. And they both ask, when did we do that to you? Or when didn't we do that to you? And remember his answer, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. You understand what that means? See, first of all, it means Jesus takes the persecution of his children very seriously. I feel pity for the people that are spiritually blind and persecute Christians. Because one day they're going to be in front of him and be accountable for persecuting him. He says, you're persecuting me. What you do to my children, you're doing it to me. But that also means something that it should give you comfort. You have unity in Christ, which means when you go through something, he goes through something. He's right there with you. It's happening to him as well. And, and, and this is very consistent with, with, with his teachings, you know, the, Jesus taught us that the way that we treat other people is the way that we're treating him. The way that you forgive other people is the way that he will forgive you. So we show a lot of our relationship with Christ in the way that we treat other people. And this is um, something that sadly we forget all the time. You know, if, if somebody else doesn't think exactly the way that I think, I see them as my enemy. You know, if, if they are against me or against my beliefs, to me they are my enemies. 
Could you imagine how, what an easy temptation would have been for the, the, the first Christians to see the Romans as the enemy? They were burning them alive. They were feeding them to the lions. And Jesus says, love your enemy. You know, it, it was because so many Roman soldiers converted to Christianism that in only 300 years, half of the empire became Christian. But they have to understand, this is one of the things that Paul understood. The way I treat other people is the way that I treat Jesus himself. See, Paul would become later the first Christian missionary in history. See, other disciples started preaching in other cities, but because they were persecuted and they ran away. Paul was the first one that planned a trip to go and plant churches in other, in other places. But we can see here what is the motivation behind that. See, see, this is something that I try to tell our people in Cancun. See, we don't go to the poor areas to bring doctors and medicines. We don't, we don't go to, to the, the jail in Cancun every Saturday to bring them their, their, their most basic needs. We, we're not feeding all the families where both parents lost their jobs during the pandemic. We don't do that to make their life better. We do it because we're doing it to Jesus. When you're doing it, see, people sometimes think, oh, I was Jesus to them. No, no, no. He was Jesus to you. You were allowed to feed and clothe Jesus. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 9. There is something very interesting here that I think it's worth mentioning. See, if you read verse 5 in like the, the, what we're reading here is the uh, English Standard Version. But if you read there or in the New International Version, verse 5 ends there. You know, after Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, that's where it ends. But if you read it in the King James Bible, then it, it has more stuff in it. And I put it there because it's important to notice why is it there and what does it mean? Look at it. It's Acts 9. I put 5B and 6A. They added this part. It says, it's hard for you to kick against the goats, tells Jesus Paul. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, the reason why this is there, if you have a King James Bible and it's a good Bible, there's going to be a footnote on that verse. And he's going to say at the bottom, this text only appears in the late manuscripts, which means the older manuscripts that we have don't have that verse. So why is it there? Somebody at some point figured they would give Luke a hand and compliment the story. But, but it has a reason. Let me explain why. See, the, the testimony of Paul in Acts chapter 9, it's the account of Luke talking about Paul in third person. Luke is saying, and this is what happened to Paul. But if you read the testimony of Paul in Acts 22, and then in Acts 26, when he tells it again, you know, but this time it's Paul speaking in first person. He's telling the testimony, defending himself in Jerusalem, and then in Caesarea, okay? And if you go to those chapters, Paul himself says that after Jesus tells him who he is, the first thing that Paul said to him was, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says that in, in 22. And in 26, um, Paul says that after Jesus told him, why are you persecuting me? He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. So somebody was copying at some point this manuscript and realized that Paul had said things in 22 and 26 that Luke failed to record in chapter 9. So he said, I'm going to give him a hand and I'm going to put him there. Okay. Now, why do I tell you this? 
There are people that are going to attack the Bible, telling you the Bible has been changed through times and you guys don't even know it, so you don't know if it's true or not. That's not true. We have the, the, all this manuscript and we still can compare. And the Bibles, when they add things that were added later, they tell you this was added. This word wasn't there, okay? So don't let them light, you know, try to confuse you with this, okay? But it's important to understand what these things mean, okay? See, I love the fact that Paul, the first thing that he does, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because Paul understood immediately that true faith has a connection with the way that you live your life. He immediately says, okay, so you are the light, So what do I have to do? So I put this in your program. Jesus finds you to save you from your ways and to put you to work. See, you're living life in a certain way. And when Jesus finds you, he says, that's the wrong way. I'm going to show you the right way. And now I want you to get to work. Okay, so Paul knew that drastic changes in his life had to happen the moment that he faced Jesus. Okay, but the most interesting one is the fact that Jesus said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. You know, I didn't know what that word meant. Every time I read that line, I was like, what? You know, so I had to look it up. You know what a goad is? It's a long stick that ends in a point that farmers used to drive oxen to go in the right direction. When they're working the land, they have this long stick and they keep goading the oxen so it'll walk straight. You realize what that means? You know what, what, what Jesus is telling Paul? He's telling Paul, Paul, I've been trying to lead you in the right direction, but you have refused to listen to me. You, you, you're kicking against the goats. Instead of letting me just lead you, you're fighting it. That means Saul had been fighting against God's calling for a while. His conscience, you know, was, was fighting against this, and, and he tried to ignore him. So Jesus is saying, okay, you're working really hard to, li- to not listen to me. Can you hear me now? Do I have your attention? Are you going to pay attention to me or not? So there's a couple of things that we have to take from this. Number one, if God is trying to call you or push you in the right direction and you ignore him, he's going to get louder. Okay? He's going to find out a way to call your attention until you pay attention to him. And if he needs to blind you to do it, that's what he's going to do. Okay? And second, this is a reminder to me, and and it should be to you, that you never know who's God working on. You know, there's people that I meet that I think, no, this is a lost cause. You know, it's a waste of time. I'm not even going to waste my time with this guy. But he's working on Paul, a murderer of Christians. So if he's working on Paul, he can be working on anyone around you. All right? So then Jesus gives him instructions. He says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So, so, so look at the image that they're painting here. Paul goes blind, and they take him into Damascus, and he has three days. God lets him there simmer for three days to meditate on what Jesus told him. So he spends three days just thinking of this encounter that he just had. The Bible says that then God calls a man um, called uh, Ananias and and says to him, uh, Ananias, go to the house of Judas, which apparently was a 
popular name before Christ, you know, go to the house of Judas. Uh, he's in this street called Straight and ask for Saul of Tarsus. He's going to have a vision that, that a, a man named Ananias is going to come and, and lay his hand on him, so go. And Ananias is like, Lord, wait a minute. You know, I've heard terrible things about this dude. And, and, and God says, well, he didn't say dude, but God says, go. And, and look at the, the words of God. This is very interesting and very important for us to pay attention. Acts 9, 15, and 16, the, the words of God to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So you see, Paul had a plan. He, he was going in a certain direction. He thought it was the right direction. But God had a different plan. Okay, it goes to show you something very important that you need to remember. Otherwise, circumstances in your life are going to frustrate you. It says your program. God has the right to interrupt your life whenever he wants. I don't know what your plans are, what you thought you were going to be doing, you know. But at some point, God can stop you and say, no, that's not the direction that I want you to go. I want you to go in this direction. And it doesn't even mean that, that you are going in the wrong direction. If you read the life of Paul in the future, his plan, once he was evangelizing the world, was what? He wanted to visit all the cities to go preach. And at some point, God said, no, I want you to sit in jail to write letters. So he keeps changing direction and he interrupts whenever he wants, okay? So we see here how God's plan for Paul, on, on one hand, is something great that we will go like, oh, I wish I had that plan for myself. But in the other hand, it's really hard. Because first he says, I want you to carry my name to the nations, to the children of Israel. You know, and we go like, yes, Lord, give me that assignment. But then he says, and I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. You know, and, and that is one of my concerns with the church. See, because a lot of people want to be saved because they think once I am saved and I am really following Jesus... I'm going to have such a comfortable and nice life. Everything's going to be fine. Everybody's going to be healthy. You know, my job is going to be secure, my health secured. And God says, I'm going to show you that it is not an easy life. If you read about the life of Paul, his life was anything but simple or easy. And his problem wasn't even to, to, to preach to the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles would listen to him, and, and some of them would go like, oh, that's interesting, man. Tell me a little more. And some would go like, nah, you're crazy. But when he tried to preach to Jewish people, you know, read the book of Acts. There's a group of people that are just following Paul, trying to turn everyone against him. And they succeed most of the time. They beat him up. They throw him out of the cities. One time they drag him out and leave him for dead after they stone him. And, and maybe it's, it's hard for us to, to understand the animosity that, that they're feeling towards him. But just imagine this. Imagine that all of a sudden, a person came in running, stood right next to me and started screaming to you, please let me speak for a second because I have new revelation. I found a way to get to God without Jesus. What would we do? The least we were going to do is get out. And that's what they did to Paul all the time, okay? But see, this goes to prove that you can try to prove the divinity of Jesus with arguments, but what needs to happen is that the, the light of the Holy Spirit needs to touch the heart of a person so they can receive the message. It has to open the spiritual eyes. And we don't know in who is God going to work and in whom is not, so we have to just pass the message. 
okay? But anyway, that was the plan that, that God had for, for Paul's life. I don't know if you're going to think that the plan that he has for your life is good or not, but what Paul understood is his plan is the best possible plan. And Ananias went obediently, prayed for him. Verse 17 says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, um, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The combination of those two things does a lot more than re you know, return his physical sight. I wrote in your program, when Jesus shows up, our eyes are open because with him comes spiritual life. See, this is the power that we've been talking about. When he touches your heart with his Holy Spirit, then you see different. All of a sudden, you see things in a completely different way. Verse 18 says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and see the first thing that he did after he rose? And was baptized. First step, baptism, okay? So Paul was in the darkness. Jesus brings light into his life. He thought that he could see, but Jesus showed him the truth. He spends a few days with the disciples in, in Damascus, and look at what he does right away in verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And everyone that heard him was completely amazed. They, they would say, wasn't this the guy that was persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem? Didn't he come here to, to arrest more? But the Bible says that Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jewish people, proving that Jesus Christ was the Christ with the scriptures. You know what that means? Paul had all the knowledge that he needed from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was spiritually blind. So it's, it's not just about intellectual knowledge. The Holy Spirit really needs to open up your eyes. And that's what happens to Paul. And Paul will start an incredible race from that moment on to extend his kingdom. He's going to go, you know, in three missionary trips, two to plant churches, another one to go visit those churches. His letters to those churches, you know, conform more than 60% of the New Testament. And the theology in his letters is some of the most profound things that you can read in the Bible. You know, if I had to summarize what changed in Paul's life, you know, when Jesus opened his eyes, he changed weapons. He went from using the weapons of the world to the weapons of the spirit. Instead of using a sword, he started using real love. You know, before he, he was so obsessed with them that he would travel to foreign lands to persecute them and kill them. And now he's obsessed with going to foreign lands to bring the light of Jesus to other people. Now, love is what changed. If you read the book of Ephesians, he summarizes what should life be when you are under the light of Jesus. He says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your husband and, and, and follow his leadership. Love your kids by teaching them the word. You know, love, love your workers by, by treating them with respect and paying them fairly. Love your, your, your work by working as if you were working for the love. So love, wrote Paul, is the highest goal. So what is the end of this story? After his uh, third missionary trip, he traveled to Jerusalem um, where he is arrested actually to save his life. The same group of people that had been following him, they arrive to Jerusalem, everybody gets against him, they start beating him up and the soldiers come and save his life and arrest him. To, to avoid being murdered by the Jewish people, he appeals to the, the, the emperor and he's sent to Rome. 
And if you read that trip to Rome, and actually all of his life, the, the life of Paul is kind of like a movie. You know, that in the middle of the movie, you think, shouldn't this guy be dead by now? You know, it's like <laughs> everything happens to him, you know. But he ends up in a prison in Rome. You know, they, they had two types of prisons. And the people that were waiting to be executed uh, by decapitation, they were put in caves outside of the city. So most likely he was in this cave. And you can see his mental state when you read the last letter that he wrote. His last letter was a letter that he wrote to Timothy, his disciple, 2 Timothy. And the most famous part of that letter is chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. I'm going to read this in a minute. But before I read it, I want you to remember the two questions that Paul asked Jesus many, many years before in that road to Damascus. Lord, who are you and what do you want me to do? I am convinced that the more a person pursues the answers of those two questions, the more you allow God to change you. Because, you see, the more you understand who Jesus really is, and the more you understand his plan for your life, the more you start seeing the way he sees and the more you start living the way he wants you to live, okay? So in these last words, we can see how Paul responded with his life to the answers that Jesus gave him. So I, I, I pictured him in that cave as an old man, not so much by age. He must have been in his 60s when he was decapitated, but by life, you know, the life that he lived. You know, probably with a white beard and most likely dictating this to a younger man under a candlelight, you know, but with his head held high and his heart completely in peace. Listen to his words. Second Timothy 4, 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, we see in Paul a man who, who knew the righteous judge personally. You know, he, he knew exactly who the Lord was. He kept saying, who are you, Lord? Jesus revealed himself to him, and he understood perfectly well what battle he had to fight. See, of all the things that he could have dedicated his life, he decided to follow the commands of God and do exactly what he told him to do. He says, take my message to the children of Israel and to the Gentiles. That means whoever you come across, because that's the whole world. And that's exactly what he did. Now, how does this relate to you? See, my first question would be, have you had your encounter with Jesus? Have you heard his voice calling you? And listen, if you think that he hasn't, and you're sitting here, or you're listening to these words wherever you are right now, you're kicking against the goats because you're not here by accident. He's clearly calling you to something. And if you don't pay attention, he's going to get louder, okay? Now, if, if you have felt his calling, then you have to ask the two questions. Lord, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. So that you are sure that you are pursuing the real Jesus and not one made up in your mind. You need to get to know him. Go to your Bible and say, Lord, who are you? And read. And he will reveal himself to you with time. And the second question, what do I have to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? See, we call this a spiritual journey because it's made out of steps. 
What is the first step? Baptism. Did you see what Paul did? That's the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry. Next week, there's baptisms. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? Lord, what do I have to do? Maybe you need to learn to read your Bible a little better. Maybe you need to join a small group. Maybe you need to start serving. Maybe you need to go missions. Maybe you need to pay attention to the needs around you because Jesus will use you where you are. Like Wes said last week, you know, you, you are in a specific place and you need to participate, be in light. So what do I have to do? See, the story of Paul shows us once again that becoming a Christian is a lot more than just saying a prayer or telling people that you're a believer. It shows in a change of life based in obedience to Jesus Christ that people can see. So you need to understand, and that's the last thing I put in your program. To know Jesus is not the end of the story, it's the beginning. Paul was just existing before that trip to Damascus. After that, he started living. Are you? Are you living for him? Because that's where the adventure is. And the fulfillment of your heart and the glory of our Lord resides. Let's pray. Father, um, you are the light. And we need your light. We need to be changed so that we can shine that light. I ask you, Father, for every person that is listening to these words, that you open our hearts and allow us to hear your voice calling us. And I beg you, Lord, reveal to us who are you, Lord, and what you want us to do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.